Children's Church is dismissed. Follow Mike over, and uh, we have two nurseries next door, so if you need to use those, feel free to do that. I'm going to work in John 10 this morning, uh, but I want to share some stuff with you before I work in John 10. John 10 is a powerful passage. Some churches use it quite often. Uh, I re- reference it quite often, but uh, we, uh, I want to come out of John 10 in just a few moments, but I want to read you some things that I feel like the Holy Spirit has shared with me, and uh, then we'll get into John 10. Uh, the first thing I want to say to you is that this is a big word in our culture, success, in every way, and I want you to know how God defines success that way. Now, success is defined by the world by advancement. And it's generally, even churches and ministries do this. It's usually by what you can see, right? By things that you see. That's how we try to determine success. That's the mark of success is productivity. But God's mark for success is obedience. And one of the guys that illustrates that to us the most is Jeremiah. Jeremiah, we don't read anywhere where he had any good results. You know, he wound up in the well and everywhere. But he was obedient for 40 years. And that's how God measures success. Results have to be left up to God. Now Jesus, and I'm going to say this, this may catch you off guard, but bear with me for a second here. Jesus' first objective was not to save us. His first objective was to obey the Father, and in doing so, He saved us. This was all the Father's plan. So obedience is the number one. He said in the New Testament, He gives His Holy Spirit to those who obey Him. Do you know it said that in the New Testament? That He gives the Holy Spirit to those who obey. So obedience is the key for success. Now I'll ask you a couple of questions, some things I believe the Holy Spirit dropped in my spirit is are you trying to be successful, or are we, I throw myself in there, are we trying to be successful, or are we striving to follow God and leave the success up to Him? Think about it. Success is like medicine that can turn into a drug. Success, if you'll notice, some people get prescribed Correct dosages, of, that's hard to say, of medicine. And then later on they become addicted to it, right? And that thing that was designed to help them becomes their downfall or their death. And so success is like that. In the first half of our life, success helps us along the way, right? We, we, we try to move in a direction to be productive. And there's nothing wrong with that. But as we get a little older, sometimes that success doesn't move us or it becomes a powerful force that drives us and keeps us from being in the will of God in anything. Success drives most people in the first half of their lives. It's not a bad thing always. But in the second half of our lives, it has little to teach us. It may, uh, it may still continue to make us feel good. But many times it can become an obstacle. You remember that song from years ago? 
the cat's in the cradle and the silver spoon, little boy blue and the man on the moon. When you coming home, Dad, I don't know when, but we'll get together then. And then his son grows up, and his son gets caught up in the things of life. Now, Jesus warned us about that, right? In Luke 21, verses 34 through 35, he mentions the world and the carousing and the parting. But then the last thing he mentions, he says, in the cares of this life. He said that that day would catch you off guard. So the cares of this life are the things that bring us a lot of times visible success. So the question I posed to you in the beginning uh, is are we trying to be successful or are we striving to follow God and leave the success up to Him? Jeremiah had to do that. Many people in the Scripture had to do that. The shift of being a help or a hindrance, right? As I said, success, the desire to be productive is a good thing. But that medicine can turn into a drug if we're not careful. We must distinguish the different seasons in our life. And that is a problem among people. Not knowing the different seasons as they come. I can't tell you how many times I've had to look an older man in the face and say, Go home. Start leaning on your staff and be a grandpa. Quit trying to be 18 years old. You're not. How many found that out? (laughs) Everything changes after you turn 50. Starts changing a little before that, but it really changes. And so we must distinguish the different seasons in our lives. My wife and I have talked about that in our journey over 34 years almost, how in, in her vocation and what we do as a family. And, and so that's because our lives are so busy with people, we've, we've not picked up any hobbies. Now that could change. All my children are grown. I may pick up a hobby. I might get one of those fake ponytails and start riding a Harley. I don't know. I, I'm just praying about that right now. <laughs> Trying to hear from God on that. <laughs> Uh, but something may change. Anyway, you, you want to prioritize. I don't regret that. I don't regret taking my children on most of my trips with me. I don't regret that. I don't regret taking them as much as I could to be my part and let them have fun while I have meetings and then have fun with them that afternoon. I don't regret any of that. I didn't miss out on life because life is really all about people, right? Because that's the only thing that has value to God, right? He's going to burn everything else to the ground, he said. So the only thing that has value in this life to people is, or to God is people. Imagine having a $10 million yacht and nobody likes you. You're out there floating on the water by yourself. Your own dog won't even get on the boat with you. Life's about relationships, right? That's the, that's the amazing thing about salvation because God don't need us. What's he after? Relationship. For God to be who he is and who we know him to be, he exists internally. You can't say that about any other being. He needs nothing outside of himself to exist, so he desires relationship with us. I don't add anything to God. I don't make him any more powerful, any more lovely, or any more whatever. He he chose us and called us because he wants a relationship with us. It's amazing to me. That a God who needs nothing takes pleasure in that relationship he gets from us. But it's it's a good thing, right, on our behalf. Success 
in some ways can be positive, but we have to guard against that, it, that medicine that mo- pushes us into certain realms, whatever, spiritually or in this life to help your family, can be a good thing, but it can turn into a destructive drug if we're not careful. Guard against feeling cheated as you move through life. You must guard against that. Because we're trained that the way to understand success is by numbers. And that can rub off on every facet of our lives. And we can start success feeling like we've not been as successful as we should. So that thing that lassoed around and come full circle, what used as a positive thing in our younger days, can turn on us. Missing out. How many people do you think are listening to me this morning around the globe and in this building that at some moment have felt like they're missing out or they've been cheated? Maybe somebody's going through that right now that's hearing my voice. It's a bad feeling. It's a bad feeling to feel like you missed something or you didn't get something along the way that you felt like should have happened. And the devil tries to magnify that stuff. And a lot of times that is a problem for us because we're seeking to get fulfillment out of something other than what God designed for us. I'll never forget a woman saying this to a group of us. She said, the day I quit looking for my husband to stop looking for my husband to be my fulfillment and started looking to God, she said, our whole marriage changed. He no longer felt all the weight of that and the pressure of that. And she said, I was trying to get things from him. And this could be used either way. He said, I was trying to get things from him that I really needed to get from God. Nobody should ever replace God in your life. There are people that I know, some of you may know people like this, that are down in the dumps, not living very well because of somebody in the ground. They can't get over it. For whatever reason, that person in the ground still controls their lives. They're dead, gone, but they're controlled by it because either some unforgiveness has set in there or some fulfillment that they think they can't get any longer because that person's gone. So God's going to take you and I down a path and here's some things that you're going to find out. comes a point in our lives where, we, where meaning must be predicated on something beyond the feeling that we get from success and achievement. Some of you have already got there, like myself. You've heard me say this. I, I wouldn't have said this 25 years ago, but I would rather spend two hours in the woods of that monastery in Barstown talking to Jesus than being in this pulpit. I don't begrudge the pulpit. I, I'm called to do this. But I found a place that's better than this. Being with Him. Being along with Him. I like having my family, my wife with me out in public. But sometimes... There's nothing better than sitting across the breakfast table with my wife and a cup of coffee. 
or the rest of the family. And I feel that way about God. I'm not His preacher. He can preach with a donkey. He can get His will done with a large fish. Right? He can get a message across with a rooster. I'm His son. And that's what makes the difference. Amen. Amen. Now, we get to this point, we need something less ephemeral. That's just a big word that means something that has a short lifespan. You see, that's why the world that doesn't come to Christ never, ever gets satisfied. Because there's nothing eternal out there in this world system. And, and that's what we are. And there's a, you're on a journey. It's my life changed when I realized that discipleship was not a destination, as I probably was taught early on, but it's a journey. And you're constantly being sanctified by the washing of the water of the Word, and God is conforming us into the image of Christ. And that final, final moment in that, or that final step in that, Paul said, is when we see Him, we will be like Him. And so you and I are on a journey, and God's doing things inside of us. Now you'll notice this. Notice somebody who can never stop a certain advancement. There's an area of their life. It could be money. It could be a possession. It could be something they just can't stop advancing in. They've not found that place I'm talking about. They've not found it. It's coming. Some people don't find it till they get on their deathbed. We have to understand that what was going on in that widow woman that day versus the wealthy people was something far deeper than giving money. Oh, she outgave them all. But why did she outgive them all? Because success was not her goal. Honoring God was her goal. Something bigger. I mean, in fact, that Jesus was watching, was telling us something, right? He was watching who was giving. He was paying attention to that. And he watched the wealthy people come in and give out of their abundance. And then the widow woman comes by and gives everything she's got. See, that's what happens in our discipleship. Let me read you. I'm getting to John 10 in just a minute. In our discipleship... We find that God will call us sometimes to give up something. Sometimes He'll call us to give up everything. Sometimes He'll invite us to be martyred. And He takes us down a path. He that seeks His life will lose it. He that will lose His life for His sake will gain it. Nobody's given everything up in this life and not received a hundredfold more in this life and the life to come. You may have walked out on sin and gave up a group of friends, but now look around you. Look how many brothers and sisters you have. And not only here, but across the globe, in Africa and China or wherever. You have brothers and sisters all around the world now. Because you got grafted in, you've been adopted into this family. The struggle for self-identity and private fulfillment can always be present in our lives. This, satisfa this satisfaction we search for 
can happen in all, all the seasons of our lives. You and I have to learn to get our identity from being a son and a daughter of God. I cannot get my identity from being a preacher. I can't get my identity from being an athlete or anything. I must get my identity from being a son of God. Michael Vick was a famous football player. He lost his ability to play football because he got in trouble with the law. And most of the culture was ready to cast him aside because his value to them was playing football. They, they didn't see any value in him other than watching him play football on Sunday. But one man, who's a Christian coach, Tony Dungy, went to visit him in jail and led him to Christ because he saw something far more valuable than a football player. But that can happen to a businessman. That can happen to a preacher. That can happen to a school teacher, a ball coach, anybody. It can happen to anybody. You can get into a place to where your identity is found in what you do and not who you are. Now think about Jesus. When I give you these last couple of things, I want you to think about what Jesus did and how he was. What do my contributions to God and his plan look like in different seasons in my life? I'm going to use my mother as an example. My mother is in a wheelchair and has been in one for 14 years almost. And before she sat in that wheelchair, she's had all kinds of different seasons in her life. Her first season was to pray and groom her children to walk with God. She took it seriously. She would have devotions with me and my brother regularly. Snow days were predicated from school by longer devotions when we didn't have to go to school. She was a good homemaker. She'd done all those things. She, I grew up when we still hung the clothes outside on the clothesline and we got milk from a cow all those put our potatoes or taters under the house to keep them all winter. Then that season shifted and God put her in the workforce for a season and she was instrumental in leading her principal to the Lord who's a good friend of mine to this day. And then she only stayed outside the home for a short while, came back, and of course, played the role that God gave her as a wife and as a mother and as a grandmother. And then she drove around visiting widows and all that kind of stuff. Writing letters and cards. In fact, some of you have probably been corresponded by my mother. And now she's in a wheelchair. She can't drive. She can't get up and go outside on her own. She can't do any of that. But not one time has she ever complained about being in a wheelchair. I, I, I'm not there. I don't think I would be there. 
Never heard it one time. But now she's in a season where she really takes seriously writing things to people, giving them scripture, hearing from God, putting that in the mail to somebody. She didn't get bitter because her season changed. She just rolled with it. I want to be like that. My season changed nine months ago. God's been doing some stuff in me that's He needed to set me down and get my attention and take me on another journey with Him. I thought we were through. Really thought we were through for a minute. But God's going to keep working on you and I until He's ready to bring us home. Doesn't matter how old you are. Remember what Josh said, as for me and my house, 110 years old, they were still moving forward. So your whole life is a discipleship journey till you see Him. When you see Him, you will be like Him. That's one of the hardest things to do that I've seen my mother do with grace. Just shift into those seasons and not long for that one behind you and try to get ahead and get this one that's out in front. But stay in your place. I admire Billy Graham. Billy Graham could have set up a church probably anywhere in the world and filled it up. But he stayed in his calling. He stayed in his calling. He knew he was called to be an evangelist. He didn't seek the security of pastoring a church, whatever that means. But he could have filled a church up anywhere. But he abided in his calling for his season. But sometime you're going to have to change those seasons. Life lets you know that, don't it? Life lets you know that. Here's what you and I are going to say. At least we're going to think. We will all be saying this our entire lives. We've never passed this way before. I'm saying it now. I never passed this way before. And that's how God works in our lives. He's taken us from glory to glory. So that thing that's driven you your whole life, is it time for that season to be over? Do you need to step in? Do you need to lean on your staff a little more? As I go into John 10, I want to say two things to you. Jesus gave us His life and His death. He was good at both. Will you be? Will your life, will you give your life away? What are you contributing to God and His plan at this season in your life? Are you feeling sorry for yourself? Because you feel like you've missed some things? Do you know how good God is? Do you know how He can overcome what the canker worm's eating and restore it in, in a second? That's a trick of the enemy to get you to look back and live a life of disappointment instead of living today. Today's all you have. And he said, it's because his mercies are new that none of us are consumed. None of us. So we're all living on God's mercy. Every single one of us. Jesus gave us his life. And our, what, what are your contributions to God and his plan at this moment? Have you been able to walk in those seasons with grace? Or have you been upset with God because that last season didn't turn out the way you thought it would? 
God don't measure success the way we do. If He measured success the way we do, Paul and Silas would have never been thrown in prison. They would have never been lied on, cheated on, all that kind of stuff. It's amazing to me how that we as Christians see that's the lot for everybody who's serious about God and we get knocked off our feet when that happens to us. When we get persecuted. That was commonplace for a Christian. Why would that knock us off our feet? In chapter 10, let's look at Jesus here as He talks to us. He said, Most assuredly, I say to you that he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. That's something that we all should be accustomed to, the voice of God. There's nothing more important that's going to happen in your life from here till you die than hearing God's Word, hearing His voice. Whether it's from studying or prayer time or out of a message, nothing will happen in your life that's more important than that. Nothing. Can I say it as emphatic? Nothing will happen in your life that's more important than hearing God's voice. Nothing will ever happen that's as important as that. He says, uh, Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. And you've heard the story about counterfeit money. They really train them to know real money so that they can spot counterfeit. They don't have to train them in all the counterfeits. Jesus used this illustration but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. All right? Hear that? So he's going to go on. Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. He said, I'm the door. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. So there are people nowadays that are trying to lead people astray, right? And then that's been going on before Jesus' time too. He said, I am the door. He emphatically says this again, if anyone enters by me, he will be saved, or the Greek word sozoed, and will go in and out and find pasture. In other words, you'll be sustained once you tap into him. We don't have any guarantees outside of Jesus Christ. None. We don't have any. Nobody's learned that more clearly than I have in the last nine months. We don't have a guarantee of tomorrow. You, you and I don't have a guarantee that... Uh, I, I just was read an article this last week. One guy who's a, uh, a historical economist said, the last time all the markers were lined up the way they are economically in this country, the way they are now, was 1929. And he's not the lone voice for anything. But we don't, what, the point I want to try to get to you, none of us know what will happen tomorrow. God's the only way, one that's been around the corner before we get there. And he says, the thief does not come. Now listen what, and we know this is the devil. The thief does not come except to do what? Steal and to kill and to destroy. He may give you enough rope that you think everything's going okay, but that's the goal, to kill, to steal, and to destroy. 
The devil wants to rob us, to steal from us. He wants to kill us. He wants to destroy our lives. And he, that's, that's how he works. Here's what Jesus said. I have come that they might have life and that they may have it more abundantly. That can only happen if we transcend this cultural and this earthly life and see eternity. The Bible says these things are temporal. And I spoke on this a little bit last week. The things we cannot see are eternal. And it also, this paradox gives us about Moses that he was able to endure. And I know it's getting tough. It is a, the, the culture is turned against the Lord completely. And we are definitely in the minority. True believers are in the minority. I understand that. It's getting tougher. But God offers us a way. The Bible says Moses was able to endure because he could see him who was invisible. That's a paradox. And how do we do that? We see God's word. We take his word. We, we understand that he has a bigger plan. If you just heard the world side of everything from the news or whatever and didn't know God's plan, it could get very discouraging. And so he says, I am, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. So he gives his life away the whole time he's here. An example of that is Job. We studied Job on Wednesday. But a hireling, uh, he who is not the shepherd, who, uh, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. This is why David was such a good leader. He wasn't willing to give up one sheep. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and am known, uh, and am known by my own as the Father knows me. Even so, I know the Father and I lay my life down for the sheep. So he gave us his life and he gives us his death. Everything was for us. Everything he did. And other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I may bring and they will hear my voice and there will be one flock, and what? I know sometimes people label pastors as shepherds, but that's not true. There's only one shepherd. I have a mantle given to me by the Lord, but I'm not the shepherd. I, meh, like you. We have one shepherd, one Lord. One Father. There's only one Shepherd. I hope that I have never come across to anybody in any kind of way that makes you think that I could take the place of God in your life in any way, shape, or form. Because that's not true. Not at all. We are all journeying together. We have different callings. Different task, and those, well, the calling's the same, actually. We're called to know Him, and our task can be different, but those tasks can change. Some of you have already experienced that. You've experienced those tasks changing in your life. So the task may change, the calling remains, that we may know Him in the power of His resurrection, in the fellowship of His suffering. All that's a part of our discipleship. But our task may change. Sometimes Paul pastored the church. Sometimes he did apostolic work. Sometimes he did missionary work. Sometimes he did evangelism work. He had a 
unique mantle. So God may change your task, and when He does, like He's done with my mother, when He changes that task, for whatever the reasons are, will you roll with it, or will you look back? My wife and I have talked about this a lot. If we always look back to what it used to be, we're going to miss what God has for us now. And so he goes on to say, he says, there'll be one shepherd, therefore my father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it again. The command I have received, this command I have received from my father. And think about Jesus. He came here to give himself away. His whole desire was to obey the Father. In, if I can go back to my board here, in this obedience to the Father, he found success because he's redeemed many. Will you answer this question this morning? Are you trying to be successful? Or are you and I striving for the will of God to follow God and leave the success up to Him? Can you, can you imagine reading Paul's resume? Who would hire him? Been in jail how many times? Welcome your new pastor. Just got him out of North Point last week. <laughs> Success. Do you think Paul was successful? Sure he was. Turn with me to John 15. I want to remind you, verse 18, of how we're going to have to get ready in this world. Listen to what Jesus tells those who follow him. If the world hates you, in John 15 and 18, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. So he just cleared that up. That's a strong word, isn't it, really? None of us really like the idea of being hated or mistreated or persecuted. None of us like the idea of that. But it's, that's the lot for a true follower. And if, if we're living in the days that we see and we know we are, that's, that's going to get worse. He says, Remember the word that I said to you, A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. Now that's the kind of world we live in. We live in a world... You, you, if you have seen some of these clips over the last four years where... They carry signs that say, if Jesus comes again, we'll, if Jesus comes back, we'll kill him again. 
crazy stuff that in my mind I'm thinking, you're lucky he didn't just sizzle you there on the spot. <laughs> it's a good thing I'm not Jesus. <laughs> Where's the big bug thing at, right? <laughs> so, but we live in a world that host- I watched a couple of preachers this week on the streets of New York trying to preach. Wow. The hatred, the vehement vitriol, everything you can think of the people toward these guys. And to their credit, they kept singing. They weren't singing, but they kept saying what they were saying. John the Baptist got so bad on him, he wound up losing his head. What have I said? Cheer up, saints, it's going to get worse. <laughs> so he says, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin, but they, they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would have no sin. But now they have seen and also hated both me and my father. But this happened that the word might be fulfilled which was written, which is written in their law, they hated me without a cause. Now, you can get along with the world if you just fall in line with them. And that's going to be our challenge as we go forward. To be whatever the terminology, they change terminology all the time out in the world, politically correct, whatever you want to call it. If, if you want to stay okay, if you want to be okay with them, then you can just play along. But if you want to hear, like Matthew 25 says, well done, my good and faithful servant, you're going to have to take a stand. I'm going to give you a story before I close, and then I'm going to ask you another question, a reiterated question, a couple of questions. These three Hebrew boys were in Babylon, and Babylon, I don't don't know how... uh, Places like in our country, San Francisco, Philadelphia, New York, Chicago. I don't know how Babylon would be much worse than those are now. When you throw in child trafficking and abortion and drug trafficking, all the things that are just out in the open now in our own country. But when the king passed a law that was against God's law, and that's where we draw the line, right? That's we, we know that. when we, we obey the laws of the land until they pass a law that conflicts with God's word, then that's where we draw the line. It may cost us, but that's where we have to, we have to draw the line there. Well, these he, three Hebrew boys were given the law, and the law was they had to bow and worship the image. Kind of antichrist-like, right? It's a little foreshadow there. He made this golden image and he said, when you hear the music go, you're going to have to bow and worship. Now they had some choices to make. And probably, because you need to put flesh and bone on these people. They're just like us. And and in fact, they probably didn't have the same advantages we have by having the full context of God's word for them to have in their hands and all that. But they're there. They know God's word and his will. They know his law. And so they've got a choice to make. Probably we know Satan was around and his demons were there because that's how it works on all of us, right? 
He tries to get us to back down. If the devil can't get you to turn back, then he would at least like to render you ineffective. And that's one of the things that I, well, I wanted to use my mother as an example for. He just cannot render her ineffective. She just keeps finding a way to minister to people. And I think we all need to be like that. But these three boys are there, and what do you think is going through their mind? I'm, I guarantee you, if they're like the rest of us, well, how are we going to deal with this? Right? Are we going to bow? Hey, one of, one of them could have said, maybe not, but one of them could have said, hey, why don't we bow, but let's not really worship. God knows our hearts, right? How many of you used that logic with yourself? Come on now. You just blessed somebody out and you walked away saying, God knows my heart. <laughs> Whatever, right? We use that as an excuse sometimes. And when God's asking us to have faith, we let wisdom get in the way sometimes. Come on now. I got that coon treed right there. I can see him. So-called wisdom. And so here these guys are going through all that. What do we do? Well, are we going to lose our lives? You know, our families, you know, everything had to be going through their mind. And probably the greatest challenge, I think, would have been, hey, let's not make any waves. Let's just kneel. Let's get along with the program. And we don't really have to worship. Let's just act like everybody else for the moment. And then when this is over, we'll go have a tent revival and make up for it. Or we'll go to the local soup kitchen because you know God loves us. We know that. But where is that man or that woman that'll stand in the gap? Where is that man that'll choose faith over earthly wisdom? Where is that man that views success as obedience and not advancement? Or woman. Now we know what these three guys did. We know the story. I'm not telling you something you don't already know. They didn't bow. They got in trouble. You think not bound is going to get you in trouble? Sure. Sooner or later it will. If the rapture don't happen. I look for the world to get. And we're already seeing this right. The world's getting exponentially worse. God's getting kicked out of everything. So quote unquote. So it's not going to get better as far as dealing with the culture. That's going to get worse. We know God said He'd never leave us nor forsake us. He proved that with Israel and Egypt. The lights were out everywhere, but where they're at, all the cattle died around them. But they're we know God's going to take care of us. Where are those people who will choose obedience over success? Modern-day example, a preacher in one of our circles there that I'm in uh, took a church in Louisiana. And he started preaching the truth. And it was an old church that had kind of set in its ways. And so the money people come and said, if you don't stop preaching on this stuff, we're going to leave the church. And he said, I have to do what God's asked me to do. I have to obey. He understood success. It was a small church. 
They couldn't survive without these people, and they knew it in the natural. And so they couldn't come. He, he wouldn't give in, and they left. And they got up the next Sunday morning, and he said he looked out, and they were gone. And he was worried, he said. He preached that morning, and they took up the offering, and there was a $1,000 check in the offering plate. <clears throat> he thought, well, that's God, you know, sustaining us. So he preached that Sunday night, another $1,000 check in the offering. He said, well, God's showing up. And he preached that Wednesday night. You got it. Another $1,000 check was in the offering. And he said, I scanned my congregation because we were small at the time. And he said, I scanned my congregation. He said, I couldn't see anybody new but one guy. He said, he sat on the back row and he had really long hair. He said, to be honest with you, he looked like he just come out of the bar room down the road, the way he was dressed and everything. And he said, he said, so I just knew it was him. He said, I didn't. He said, so I called him in. He said, I called him in to the office. And he said, uh, he said, I, he said, I don't know who you are. And he said, I don't know what you do. And he was young. He admits it. He said, but I think you're the one that's putting these $1,000 checks in this offering. And he said, I don't know if you, what you're doing to get your money. <laughs> he said, but I just want to tell you, you're going to go broke trying to keep his church. <laughs> and he said, Pastor, he said, do you preach tithing? He said, yeah. He said, well... I got saved a couple of weeks ago. And he said, I own a trucking company. And he said, all I'm doing is paying my tithe. We know God will sustain us. I found that out. I, we, some of you, you've been through battles. You know that God will bring you out. He'll, we, we've learned that true success is to obey the Lord. We've learned that by not doing it, right? And by doing it. So we, we learn that through life. God will never leave you nor forsake you. Now here, this is what I want to drive home. You know He lived for us. He set the right example. He, his generosity, His love, His actions were impeccable. He had no sin. That's why he had to give up the ghost. That's why he had to lay his life down. Death only reigns because of sin. And when death looked at Jesus, he couldn't take his life because he had no legal claim on him. He had no sin. So Jesus was already dead because he had already given up the ghost. He had to lay his life down. But giving his life is one thing. Pre-adventure somebody would lay their life down for their enemies. Jesus didn't just give you and I his life and show us how to live and teach us how to walk with God and how to be blessed. He gave us his death. And in his death, he was praying for all of us. I hope and would like to think 
that I would not been there that day and say, crucify. I hope I wouldn't have been there saying that that day. I hope I wouldn't have been saying, look at that guy. He must really be bad. They put him in the middle. I hope I wouldn't have been the one standing on the Via Della Rosa saying, wonder what all he's done to get punished like that before he ever got to the cross. I hope I wouldn't have been one of those people. But he was talking to you and he was talking to me when he said, Father, forgive them. You know why? Because it just wasn't that soldier's sin that nailed him up there. It was yours and mine and everybody else's in the world. That's what nailed Jesus to that tree. And he, he gave us a look into the natural side where he took on the nature of the flesh. He took on the nature of the flesh through the line of David, through the line of Mary. Joseph was his stepfather, if you'll have it. But Mary's line is running Luke, and she was also, she was from the house of Nathan because Solomon's line got cut off, which Joseph come through. But Nathan was that faithful line coming down. And Mary's father... Heli, who's talked about there in Luke, was the bloodline, the physical bloodline. And because of that, we see the grandeur of God. Even though David's line was cut off over here, he had a promise to David and he kept that line coming right through Nathan. That makes me want to shout. To know that nothing, the plans that God has for you and I cannot be stopped by the enemy. The all, Amen. Give him praise. The only way the plan for your life can stop is if you quit. Do not quit. He said he'd never leave you nor forsake you. He'd be with you to the end. And there Jesus is, given his death. He gave up the ghost. He laid his life down. He didn't just give us his life. He gave us his death. And I hope that when my time comes, I can give my death away like I've given my life away. So I ask you these two questions as we close. What are your contributions to God and his plan? What do they look like right now? Don't be distracted with your own success. Are you striving to be successful? Are you striving to follow God and let the success be determined by Him? I got a third thing to say. I said this already, but I want to drive it home. Sometimes Jesus calls us to give up something. Sometimes Jesus calls us to give up everything. And sometimes He calls us or invites us to martyrdom. And I think you'll find that in your own life. You'll go through those stages. What, what, what was up with that widow besides the two mites? She had already died to herself. You don't give everything away if you're a widow. Because you've got to have something to give to sustain you, right? What about the other widow? 
Here come that arrogant preacher to town, prophet. She had a horrible outlook, didn't she? That's how a lot of people are. They can't see. They're so devastated by their moment. They have no faith, no hope. And that's where she was at. She was there and he said, hey, what do you got? She said, I got enough meal for me and my son. Then we're going to die. What an outlook. One more meal. So he challenges her, right? He says, well, why don't you make me something first? Either he's an arrogant TV preacher. And I'm on TV now. I should be careful here. <laughs> or he's given her the chance of a lifetime. He may feel that besides me. When you get those moments of faith, when God stops by your house, it's the chance of a lifetime. Jesus said, how long did I long to gather you and pull you in like a mother hen does her chicks, but you would not. He said, you missed your day of visitation. They missed it. Don't miss your day. That widow woman, that was her day. She had a choice to make. She was probably walking all the way back to the barrel of meal saying, who does he think he is coming in here getting my food away from my son? What's going to happen? And she had a battle. I'll guarantee you she had a battle. How do I put this man in front of my son? But either God's first or he's not. And she gets the strength to do it. Listen, we all got battles. Don't beat yourself up for battle. And that's how this journey's worked out. Jesus had them too. He just didn't fail. He was tempted in all points like you were. He was, this widow woman was probably tempted to say, I ain't doing this. This is crazy. My first responsibility is to my son. Second to God. You got to determine if that's God talking through that man or if he's talking in the flesh. And she made the right call. She came out, said, you go ahead and eat first. And the Bible says she went back day after day after day and the barrel had meal in it because she stepped out in pisteo. She stepped out in faith. She had verb faith. She acted on that word she got. Peter said, hey, we've been fishing all day. And Jesus said, yeah, but I I'm putting this on my own words because I'm preaching. I can do that. He said, you got... I'm not going to veer from the Scripture, though. He had just used his boat. He had given Jesus the most prized possession he had. That was his life. That's what he fed his family with. That was what he did everything with. That boat represented Peter's life. And Jesus said, I need to borrow it. And so he let him borrow it. And after he got done, Jesus said, get on back out there and catch you some fish. And Peter said, uh, you know Peter was thinking, we've been out, because he, he said it, right? He's good about saying whatever's on his mind. He said, we've been out there all night, ain't caught nothing. In other words, I know what he was thinking. Listen, I know how to fish, and they're not out tonight. That's what he was saying, right? And then all of a sudden, he gets it. That pisteo starts coming out of him. And he said, nevertheless, at your word, your word, I'm going to launch out. And he said, launch out in the deep. And the Bible says their nets were so full that the boat began to sink. That's the God that you and I still have available to us, July the 16th, 2023. <laughs> Hallelujah. Let's stand our feet. Amen. Come on, let's give him some more praise. He's worthy of our praise. Hallelujah.
You are our king. You are God. So if you'll stay focused on the word of God and let the Holy Spirit work in your life, let your goal be obedience. Then the success will take care of itself. I've had the privilege of telling, because I've been doing this a long time, people who go into retirement. Worrying, I said, worrying about retirement. I said, listen, you've honored God your whole life. God's not going to drop you off somewhere and say you're on your own now. Walk with God. He'll take care of you. Just keep right on obeying Him. He's, what did He tell Levi? As your day, so shall your strength be. Whatever day God gives you, you don't have the promise of tomorrow. I don't have the promise of tomorrow. I know that clearly now. But whatever day He gives you, He'll give you the strength for. He didn't promise you tomorrow, but He promised you the strength for tomorrow. And He said He would not, if, you, if He gives you tomorrow, and He said He would not allow anything on us that we couldn't bear up. He would make a way out. Amen? Let's close our eyes for a moment. If you're here this morning, you're watching me this morning, and, or get this podcast, and you don't know Jesus Christ, I want to say something to you. The greatest thing will ever happen in your life is for you to come and surrender your life to Him and start following His teachings. They lead us to eternal life. Oh, you'll have success. You won't have to worry about all those things that you worry about. If you just seek the kingdom first, all these other things will be added unto us. He promised us that. And many of you have found that out. You have found out that putting God first always works out. You'll never be out, able to outgive God, none of us, with our time, our money, or even our fishing boat. We'll never outgive the Lord. So, God, we pray over these people. There's somebody that needs to know you. Maybe there's somebody in here that their faith's wavering. Maybe they're having a battle like the widow woman. But you're calling them. One widow woman had already proved she died to herself. And the next one did it in that moment when the prophet challenged her. She died to herself and made you first. Peter stepped beyond his own learning and his own intellect and took your word over what he knew and stepped into that. What wonderful examples we have. These three Hebrew boys who refused to bow. It's our day. It's our time, Lord. Please give us the strength we need to stand in these last days. Whatever your need is, we got, we got oil up here. If you got healing in your body, whatever you need, will you come as we worship Him?